We're here to connect. Love, time, death. Now these three things connect every single human being on Earth. We long for love, we wish we had more time, and we fear death. Did you lose a child, Howard? Howard is a brilliant, creative, charismatic guy. He used to love life. Right now, he hates it. I try to talk to him, I try to reach him, and he's not there. I miss him. He writes letters. Who are they to? Howard doesn't write letters to people. He writes to things. Time. Love. Death. Kids write letters to Santa Claus. It doesn't mean they're crazy. No, this is therapeutic. Who did you write the letter to? I wrote the letter to death. Nice to meet you. They're charmed, I'm sure. Nope. People write letters to the universe all the time. Most don't get a personal response, but you are. I don't want this. I'm time. I'm a gift, and you're wasting it. You're gonna think I'm crazy, but I'm having conversations. I am love. Don't try and live without me, Howard. I saw you in her eyes when she called me daddy, and you betrayed me! I'm the reason for everything. If you can accept that, then maybe you get to live again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a bonus episode. I'm David Chen, and joining me for this very special episode is Matt Singer, the editor-in-chief at ScreenCrush.com. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. We are here because we recently watched this movie called Collateral Beauty, starring Will Smith and a bunch of other insanely talented people. I went to this movie last night to kind of hate watch this movie at the theater because I'd heard it was terrible. And I was kind of with it for the first 30 minutes, and then things really started getting nuts at the end. And so I wanted to talk with you about how insane this movie is. Uh, so I, I think in order to really discuss its insanity, we need to talk about the uh, plot details of Collateral Beauty. But before we get to that, I guess just overall thoughts about this movie before we dive in. Uh, it's a disaster. <laughs> why is it a disaster? Well, I, I wasn't on set. I can't tell you why. I don't know what went <laughs> wrong, but something clearly went very wrong here. Something went terribly, terribly wrong. It, it it's 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 one of the most like misguided movies I can ever remember watching in terms of sort of what it's about and the movie's presentation of what it's about. Um, I don't know how much we want to say now because even the movie's trailers basically were kind of I don't want to say they were inaccurate, but yeah. they were sort of they misleading. were misleading. Yeah, I they agree. were quite misleading. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to the point where people who are summarizing the actual plot. <laughs> from the movie in their reviews are getting yelled at for spoiling it when in fact they're just, just like this it's not presented as spoilers or as secrets in the movie yeah, they're, they're yeah. just presented as the basic facts of the premise which the tr- movie's trailer did not include and yeah. i have i have a, a hunch why that might be but we could talk about yeah, that again yeah, in, totally. in um spoilers but yeah, yeah it's it, it, what this movie is about and how it depicts what it is about is it, it just seems completely um I don't say this lightly it seems borderline psychotic. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm I'm eager, 
watched. I'm eager to dive into it with you. I'll just say about this film what I tweeted last night after I left the screening, which is that Collateral Beauty is the crash of relationship psychology films. There is no emotion too big, no lesson too obvious, no platitude too cringeworthy to include in this film. I, I, it, it did remind me a lot of Crash. Like These people are well-meaning. There's good actors in this film. They're trying to bring a somewhat positive message into the world, kind of. Are but, they, though? Yeah, well, we'll get into that. <laughs> but the way they do it is so ham-fisted and uh, objectionable and offensive that uh, none of that really gets through. So that's our overall thoughts on the movie. It, before we get to just the plot details and spoilers, is this a movie that you think is worth watching for – you know, so bad it's good quality. Like, is this a movie to hate watch, or is this a movie no. that no, it's no, just so I, bad I it's would, bad. Uh, no, I, I think when we describe it, people are going to think that. And I really want to stress yeah. very clearly that it is not. In fact, I think in my review um, at Screen Crush, I wrote something to the effect of it. You know, it, it, this is not a so bad it's good movie. It's more like a so bad it doesn't seem real movie. Like it's so. <laughs> it's it's bewildering. It's 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 truly deranged. But it's not incompetent. Like you said, there's a lot of very talented people in it. They are working hard. The actors are giving it their all, even yeah. though arguably they should not be giving it their all. David Frankel, um, talented director, you know. Uh, I mean, in other places, I guess. Um, and the cinematographer, Maurice Alberti, very good cinematographer. The movie looks good. Shot in New York. Has some really great New York locations. So it's and and it's about very dark subject matter. So it's not like you're going to be sitting there laughing it up at, you know, um, absurdity and ridiculousness. It's like it is absurd, it is ridiculous, but the movie is about like death and grief and mourning and loss, and it's it, it's not exactly chipper in the in that regard. So it's not something that you would sit there, you know, it's not old dogs or something like that, where it's just so terrible and weird and hilarious that it can kind of transcend its own badness i i i found this movie incredibly painful to watch but i also um enjoy talking about it yeah exactly people people who aren't spoiler phobic who've heard that it's insane and say can you tell me what happens it's a lot of fun telling people what happens because at first they don't believe you yeah yeah so let's get into spoilers right so we're, we're talking about plot details it, you know, assume spoilers for the movie. Let's dive into it. All right. The, the, <laughs> the movie begins uh, with Will Smith's three friends, played by Edward Norton, Michael Pena, and Kate Winslet, who work at the ad agency that he helped co-found, hiring three actors to play Time, Love, and Death, which are, are people, uh, concepts that Will Smith has been writing letters to in his grief. Right. Will Smith's and daughter also has that died. he, he yep. claims are the central... The, the foundational elements of all life on Earth. Yeah. Everything we do as human beings relates to something – one of those three things. Which, you know, I, I don't know how convinced I am by that, but whatever. So, you also left out the fact that um, before he uh, – uh, they, they in, engage this plot, which we will talk about. He – you know, he's, he's lost his daughter. Yeah. And he spends his days going to his job but not working <laughs> – and instead building enormous domino shows, domino yeah. rallies, domino displays, which he sets up for days or weeks on end and starts like starts the domino effect and then walks away, doesn't even watch the demolition. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, very accurate. 
Uh, and so <laughs> that's a, actually a pretty decent opening credit sequence, right? The credits are rolling and you see these, this massive domino set fall. You find out, yeah, his daughter has passed away uh, a couple years ago, but that he's been basically catatonic, living an incredibly Spartan lifestyle. Uh, he separated from his wife, lives in his own apartment. Uh, doesn't, doesn't have television, phone, or internet. Yeah, doesn't you know use any ha- have any of the pleasures of modern life or accoutrement of modern life, and uh, and Edward Norton visits his mom who apparently has dementia and says, "Hey, I found that when I play along with my mom's dementia, <laughs> I forgot this part. When when I play along with my mom's dementia, you know, when she says, "Hey, there's werewolves in the in the parking lot over there." And I pretend like there are werewolves. Things actually go a lot better for everyone, right? As opposed to me trying to convince her of my reality. So then they say, what if we played along with his reality? Now, here's the thing, Matt. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that idea of, hey, we've already tried all other methodologies of you know, getting this guy off the grief train. Let's try something really unorthodox. The problem with this movie is the fact that the real reason they are hiring actors to play Time, Love, and Death, who Will Smith is writing letters to, uh, and so that he can talk to them and interact with them and maybe snap him out of his funk. The real reason they're doing that is so they can film him talking to these people, these actors that they've hired, right. digitally remove the actors, yes, and then use that footage to prove Will Smith is incompetent or insane so they can get access to his voting shares or so that his voting shares will no longer be relevant right? Uh, so that they can sell the company to Omnicom, which is an actual real-life agency in right. New York. Will Smith is the only person apparently at this ad agency who's worth a damn, and he refuses to do any work because he's grieving. He's been grieving for two years or whatever it is, but he refuses to quit. He also doesn't talk. Will Smith like basically does not speak for the first 30 minutes of this movie after yeah. this opening scene that's set before everything else. You know, He opens the movie with this very classic Will Smith sort of speech uh, to all the employees of the ad agency where he's charming, he's funny, he's smiling, and you're like, man, Will Smith is a movie star. And then there's this sort of – elegant uh, camera pan around him where as the camera pans, he sort of like morphs from like young, handsome, black-haired Will Smith to older, sadder, grayer Will Smith sitting in his office building domino sets. Yeah. And um, we never hear Will Smith talk basically again for like 20, 30 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. And – in that time, he barely is in the movie, actually. It's mostly more about Edward Norton and the friends. As as you said, they're not trying to really help their friend. They are trying to sabotage him. They're trying to steal the business out from under him. Um, they're trying to make him believe he is insane. <laughs> and they are essentially doing one of the worst things I can imagine someone doing to a close personal friend. <laughs> they, but, I, I thought about this after the movie, Dave. If they had tried to murder him so they could get his shares, that would be worse. If they had tried to dig up the body of his dead daughter for kicks, that would be worse. <laughs> I couldn't think of a third thing they could have done that was worse than what they did. Uh, I, I mean, there's definitely worse things, Matt, but I'm not going to go to that part of my imagination. But point taken, it is very bad. It's horrible. Uh, it's bad, but what's funny is the movie tries to frame it as a heroic act that they're correct. Doing, right, that's what's so crazy about this movie is it's not like I don't know, like a really dark comedy about 
ruthless um, ad executives or something. It is. It's not a sinister thriller about these people destroying this guy's life or stealing his business. It is sort of a uplifting Christmas Carol style tale of inspiring messages. But yeah. the basic premise of it is this horrible act that these people are doing, this betrayal of their friend. And the re- and the way that the movie treats that as this, as you said, like a heroic act, I found totally shocking. Way more shocking than any of the actual plot twists in the movie, which we can also talk about. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of the plot twists, right, let's get into that. So after his first encounter with one of the actors, the one played by Helen Mirren, Will Smith, who has been visiting a grief counseling uh, session, but kind of staying outside the window and just longingly looking inside, he decides to finally go in to this uh, grief counseling group, and he encounters the lovely Naomi Harris. Uh, And I'm just using the actor names. I'm not using the character names because uh, I honestly don't know any of the character (laughs) names, and I could easily look them up, but I think it's just going to be a lot easier if we just use the actor names. So, uh, (laughs) Works for me. I don't even know if they use each other's names that often during the uh, during the movie, but well, they probably uh, don't because that that the, all that relationship is the, is one of the twists, and it's all hiding something. Right, exactly. So Naomi Harris uh, has also lost a child, and the two of them talk, and they say, "Hey, uh, you you know you've lost a child too. Well, I've lost a child. I guess you're part of the group that like lost a child and then separated from your spouse." And they start talking, and Will Smith starts opening up a little bit, starts telling Naomi Harris about these hallucinations he's seeing, which, in fact, uh, are actually just the actors that his friends have hired to make him think he's insane. Uh, And then... (laughs) And then as... uh, uh, Dave's not making this up. Yeah, and then as the film winds to a close, a few things happen. Firstly, the plan that the friends had to film Will Smith arguing with these actors... Then digitally removing yes. them from the scene. Don't ask pl- how they do it. They just do it. Okay, okay, okay. Here's something I thought about though, Matt. Yes, that please. is actually somewhat plausible. That because, they digitally erase the people? Because they work in an ad agency. So that kind of uh-huh. work it happens all the time. That being said, okay. it looks like it was shot with a cell phone and the it audio. was shot with a cell phone. Yeah, it was shot with a smartphone and it wouldn't, the audio wouldn't have been good. And so it's actually pretty hard to do digital work on smartphone stuff and make it still seem good. It, it basically would have taken a lot of money. It would have taken a lot of man hours to remove these actors right. digitally. Okay. They, they play that for the board. Yes. And then Will Smith essentially signs paperwork saying he's okay with the deal to sell the company. Kate right? Winslet is about to cave <laughs> and admit what they've done. And before she can, Will Smith interrupts and says – well, basically he delivers – even though he hasn't talked to these people, his best friends for the last like 70 minutes of the movie – he delivers these piercing, insightful monologues about each of their lives and sort of forgiving them and uh, sort of diagnosing all of their issues that they've each been dealing with because we, I don't know if we've really talked about that. But each of the three people have their own issues that they need to deal with, which each of the <laughs> actors playing Love, Time, and Death sort of help them yeah, with. Yeah, they've, they've kind of paired off during the movie. Right. And each of the actors is right. helping them with their own problems, specifically right. Kate Winslet – uh, is looking for a sperm donor because right. she has she's a career businesswoman and she has not had time to raise a child. Right. Uh, Michael Pena is dying himself 
Yes. And has not told his family. He, so, he coughs one time in the movie, which in the movies means he is going to die immediately. If you see a character in a television show or movie cough, right. it means a that loud person's, hacking cough yeah. equals dying. That character is likely going to die because think about it: if they coughed on, if the actor coughed on set and it was unintentional, they would have just done another take. So right. anytime you see someone cough, it's intentionally included. Yeah. And then uh, Edward Norton's character, right. uh, his daughter hates him because he's a philanderer because right. he cheated. On his daughter's mom. Right. And so uh, Kira Knightley, who plays Love, helps coach him out of that. Right. So, so even, we'll, though, even, <laughs> even though Will Smith hasn't talked to these people, paid attention to their lives, at this crucial board meeting, he tells them all what's wrong with them <laughs> and like basically makes them feel better about their mistakes. He signs the papers that he has refused to sign for the entire movie and gets up and leaves. Yeah. Well, firstly – what was confusing was they had just finished proving him incompetent, right? And Kate Winslet didn't need to uh, didn't even finish what she was saying about the whole scam, right? So I was surprised that the the documents he signed were I approve the sale and not okay I'm fine I, being committed to a, a mental I'm institution. mentally unfit right. person, right. yes, right. That, so that's that was odd. Secondly, uh, <laughs> he he makes mention of all these forms he's supposed to sign. That the lawyer has been like badgering him about, and he signs them, and then Kate Winslet says, "What is the second thing he signed?" And I thought it was going to be this huge twist, you know, yeah. uh, like I'm donating the agency to these friends or something right. Right. like that. And it was just, oh, it's just these uh, trust fund papers for his dead daughter. Like that. That was it. That was that. That was the second document. What was the point of that? I guess it was that he had accepted his daughter's right. death. I think it was saying what, that on. he like finally acknowledged that she was dead. Basically, yeah, yeah, he had accepted right. it. Right. I think that's right. right. But that's, I, I, that was what that. But, but that's just but so bizarre. It was a very underwhelming. It was so bizarre because yes. the other thing to mention here. Well, I was just going to say the other thing to mention here before we get to the other twists multiple there are twists. two other twists in this we still haven't gotten to <laughs> that's right this is the last scene where all of these characters are in the same room mm -hmm. there are resolutions for will smith and each of the individual characters and those problems that he diagnosed accurately there's sort of final wrap-up scenes for each of them but there's never a confrontation between will smith and these friends about what they've done he never yells at them they never apologize yeah. It, that, so, that's so the implication is that they did something good for him, right? Correct, or that he never finds out what they've done. Right, but I, I think even uh, them hiring someone to follow him around was considered treachery enough. Absolutely, right. but yeah. in terms of the whether he's having visions or not, they never say uh, – there's never a scene where they say, listen, we set you up, we did this, we feel really bad. None of that, nothing. It is never addressed. <laughs> Those characters are never in the same room again. Well, the thing and also he was about is just dropped. Uh, so each of those three characters get uh, their own neat little resolution. Michael Pena tells his family that he's dying, which is actually a decent resolution. I thought, you know, that's Fine. not not a, that's the least offensive one. Uh, <laughs> Kate, Kate Winslet gets told by the actor who plays Time, Jacob Lattimore, very talented young man, uh, that hey, you know, you are no longer biologically able to have a child. <laughs> but guess what? You can be a parent to all those around you. Like that—that that is uh, the solution. That—that's basically what he says. Yeah. Uh, which you know, okay. It's—it's uh, it's not the Thank worst you. thing, but it feels like a pretty glossed-over 
uh, exploration of the idea of choosing between your professional life and family. <laughs> also, gonna... a few scenes earlier, he had said, you, don't, you have lots of time. Don't worry about it. Yeah, well, I, maybe he was referring to you have lots of time to be a mom to other people not that aren't your biological child. I see. Uh, okay. um, and, then, uh, and then finally, uh, Edward Norton's resolution is harass your daughter until she loves you again. Correct. <laughs> Which so I, I guess your daughter until she caves, which she will very quickly. Right, right. Which, it, it, I, you know, Matt, I am not a parent, uh, and your uh, child is not old enough to hate you yet. But I would imagine that it's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> That's my guess. Yes. What do you think? I I completely agree. So. Uh, those resolutions are a little bit offensive, like not offensive, but just feel a little too convenient and not super insightful. And let me just also say this. Each of these three actors have confrontations with Will Smith as different versions of, uh, of what he's writing to. Like Kira Knightley comes to him as love. Helen Mirren comes to him as uh, death. Jacob Lattimore comes to him as uh, time. And they have they talk to him as those ideas and concepts. I found those scenes to be not insightful whatsoever. No, <laughs> like, not at all. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, okay, there's actually some potential here. There's some potential about hey, maybe he's going to learn something about what is the nature of time and death and stuff. And I got nothing out of those scenes. I just did not think that they were interesting at all. And in fact, yeah. at one point, Will Smith tells off death in a very effective fashion. Invalidating the entire exercise, in my opinion, right on the subway, the scene I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. the, 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 these these uh, actors playing these concepts have no in, insight into life. Yeah. whatsoever. it's not like you watch this movie and you think, "Oh my gosh, I never thought about love like that before." Right. You know, or, or I never right. thought it's about mostly, death like that. It's it's all just empty platitudes. Yes. what they're citing. Yes. Love is everything. I was everywhere. You can't have. You can't have. Uh, happiness without grief and you know yeah like like, like what matt just said that is the extent of the insight of this film right. in terms of those concepts okay they show up and surprise will smith they say a couple of lines about that he says i can't talk to you right now and, and wanders off and then yeah. they do that a couple times yeah I, I thought it might be a thing where maybe it's like uh, a situation where they have like an extended dialogue do you know Right, uh, a my, dinner, my dinner with Andre or something, you know, where they have like yeah. a twenty-minute conversation with each of them, and that might that might be interesting of seeing these really talented actors spar with each other, you know. But right. nope, it's just they spout some platitudes. Will Smith gets angry and then leaves. That's Correct. how each encounter occurs. Yes. So then uh, you have Christmas Eve happen. Will Smith goes to Naomi Harris's house just to say hello, and you discover in a shocking twist. Dun, dun, dun. That it was Naomi Harris who was Will Smith's wife all along. Yes. They were married the entire time, or at least maybe divorced or separated or whatever, and that it was their daughter that died. Correct. Dun, dun, dun. So I actually did not think that was the worst twist. <laughs> I, it, it was <laughs> – what is your reaction to that, Matt? Well, just the fact that there are so many bad twists in this movie that that one could be labeled not the worst twist. Yeah, I did not think that was the worst twist because it, was that plausible? Was that fitting with character? The idea that he's in a catatonic state and needs to be coaxed out of it by his ex-wife 
that that idea rings somewhat true to me. You know, it certainly rings more true to me than this idea that sabotaging your friend and trying to prove him insane should be considered a noble cause. You know, the the idea that Naomi Harris is trying to yeah get him out of this bad place by pretending they're strangers that felt very plausible to me. You know, it didn't feel completely out of the question. It felt like something that a loving person might do, and it felt reasonable, unlike everything else that happens in the film. Uh, how did it, but how did it land with you, Matt? Uh, like that, but the total opposite, where you don't buy it for a, a second. Explain why. I just it just seemed so absurd to me. I, I don't. I, I <laughs> the fact that that you know that we that just I mean <laughs> it's just so <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> you're saying you're saying it's ridiculous because would their interactions have been like that if they were correct? You know. And that they would keep up the facade and that at no point would there be any sort of indication that these people who had the exact same daughter who died this same tragic death, that there wouldn't – they wouldn't – you know, that they're not a couple. Um, although I did think that thing where, where uh, you know, he, the note where – I guess he had given her the note saying like, if only we could have met meet again as strangers or something like that that did make me go oh no are they gonna do some kind of weird <laughs> i didn't guess the end the twist i'm not gonna say that i did but i it definitely made me think something is going on here and then and when well we have it let, let's get to the last twist and then i'll tell you that one was pretty obvious i thought as bad as it was hmm. all, right, all right well so with regards to the the naomi harris harris twist, yeah the only other thing is also uh, she is never referred to or made mention of by any of the other characters in the film, right, which also right. felt a little bit weird to me. Right. No one ever contacts her to maybe see if she can talk to her <laughs> crazy ex-husband yeah. and see if they can convince him to save this business you yeah. know, and yeah, yeah. save all of his employees, which he apparently has no concern about whatsoever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then in a shocking – Final twist. Yes. Naomi Harris has referred to this uh, moment in her life in the movie where her daughter was about to die. And at the hospital, she was sitting next to uh, a person who said, uh, what was the line? Don't forget about the collateral beauty. I think it was something to the extent of don't miss the don't, chance to see the collateral beauty or don't forget to look for the collateral beauty. Yeah, or, don't forget to look for the collateral beauty. In other words – Every child death has a silver lining, right? I think is what that person is trying to say. Like the, one of the things that kind of is weird about the film is that they never explain what collateral beauty means. What does that phrase mean? And right. so we're left to fumble with it. And so collateral damage, right? Is you know, so it's the opposite of collateral damage. It's not, I guess, all this all this damage that's been caused in the wake of something else. It's all this beauty that happens as a result of something else. Right? I th I think, but again, but yeah, th again, this is a movie called Collateral Beauty, where someone gives a monologue about the phrase "collateral beauty," in which it's not clear what collateral beauty actually means. Yes, very, like very weird. It's very strange, and I think your your guess as to what it's referring to is valid. I mean, it's as valid as anything I could come up with. I'm not sure. It sounds okay to me, but the other strange thing is like that message doesn't apply all that much to this movie like this movie isn't yeah. really about silver linings like it's about like soul crushing grief like what is the silver lining here yeah uh, you know maybe it's the memories of your daughter that you have the pain that you i have. guess 
And but, uh, it, it, but it was took, so weird because, Will Smith because two years of his life, uh, the loss of his business, the loss of his friendships, uh, the loss of his marriage. Although it seems at the end of the movie that they've you know reconciled, like it cost him all of that to get to that point. It doesn't seem like a silver lining. It just is weird because we've seen a lot of movies, Matt Singer, between you and I, and Naomi Harris and Will Smith are having this conversation, and she's recounting the story of, you know, don't miss a chance to see the collateral beauty or whatever. And I was thinking to myself, okay, the next line of the script is going to clarify (laughs) what collateral beauty is, and it never does. No. No, it, never does. It's just uh, – we've seen I, – I, were you expecting that? Because I was expecting – Absolutely. We've seen enough movies to know that, hey, when you bring up a concept like that, that – When you is, name it, your movie a made-up phrase, <laughs> you need to do some work. exactly what you want people to get out of that. Exactly. Exactly. So very odd. Problem, yeah, the other problem with that scene, the one where Naomi Harris describes – this moment in her life where this woman said collateral beauty without actually explaining what that means is they don't show the woman in the scene. And immediately I go, oh, okay, it's Helen Mirren. Like, <laughs> and that's going to be a twist in the movie for sure. So like, the twist is it is Helen Mirren, which means yes. that – and I think we all know what the implications of that are, Matt, which is that uh, some other person hired a bunch of actors for Naomi Harris's character. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. What The, the true implication – that you get at the end is that Helen Mirren, Jacob Lattimore, and Keira Knightley are not actually actors. Right. They right? are love, death, and They time. are actually love, death, and, and time. So in the greatest coincidence that has ever happened in the history of the universe, this guy, Will Smith's character, wrote – you know, gave this speech about these core concepts. Then his friend <laughs> – had the stumbled onto the idea to bring these core concepts to life and then happened to uh, encounter these three people who embodied those things that actually were the living embodiments of them. Yes. I guess it's the, I guess Kira Knightley sort of makes that happen because she just shows up randomly as a, it looks like she's just a, some actress who's auditioning for a part at the ad agency. So I guess it's not, that's like the one way they sort of explain it, but it still is just. Well, so, what would have happened if Edward Norton had never followed her? You know, then their mission would never have happened. Also, uh, the, I guess they can, if their concepts, you know, the rules are that they can appear real to anyone. But you know, these these concepts, they 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 were they appear real to people. They physically manipulate objects in the real world. Yes, you know, uh, apparently, Keira Knightley was at rehearsal at this place near the. Uh, what bridge, whatever bridge that was, was that the Brooklyn Bridge? You know, uh, yes, is the Brooklyn Bridge? Yes, and uh, they have they occupy this theater space in New York, which I have to imagine is really expensive. Uh, someone digitally erased them from videos. <laughs> you <Yep. know? laughs> also, at the end of the movie, because they they claim when that when we do, you know earlier in the film we don't know that they are these abstract contracts, which they never actually say. It's just heavily implied. They don't actually have a confrontation with these characters about right. it. They just, you know, they show us um, Naomi Harris's flashback where we actually see it's Helen Mirren, and then there's a scene at the end where we see them one more time and they disappear and blah blah blah. But like Ed, uh, Edward Norton's character doesn't ever figure this out or anything like that. Like the other characters don't um, discover it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's well. So so the idea then is that these concepts, oh, yes. love, time, and death. Yes, they're doing this. Came into these people's lives to to improve their lives. Right, but they claim when they when we think that they're actors that they want money to put on a play. Right, 
And then at the end of the movie, they accept the money from these people. Right. Well, I wanted to know what happened with those checks. <laughs> they're getting tens of thousands of dollars from Kate Winslet and Edward Norton and Michael Pena. I want to know what what time did with that twenty grand. Yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did love do with twenty grand? What happened? What happened to that money? <laughs> yeah, because you'd think if they were actually concepts that they would have said, "Hey, we don't need your money. We right. enjoy doing it for the craft," or something like right. that. Yeah, Helen Mirren's character even says, oh, the play is not happening now at the very end. But she still takes his check. (laughs) And the last thing she does as she says goodbye is like wave the check in front of him. It's so weird. And this is a man who is dying. He's leaving behind a wife and a small child, like a one-year-old child. And and death takes this man's money. She's trying to convince him throughout the movie, everything's going to be okay. Death is a part of life. You need to embrace it. You need to accept it. You need to tell your family. These are all, you know, useful messages, I suppose. But at the end, she takes this guy's money. No, not only that, Matt. She knows that he needs his money. He, he, he has ex- he has explained to her, "Hey, I need to leave my family something. That's why we're doing this whole ruse, right? right? That's why we need to trick Will Smith into being incompetent so that he, we can get the deal done so that I can get money for my family." And she takes 20 grand from him even if it's expensed, you know. It's like, "Why would you take the money?" <laughs> it's no baffling. Sense. Totally baffling. Totally baffling. It is so, a movie of baffling choices, up and down. So, you know, the question as we wrap up here is, what is the message of the film? Right? Because y- y- your friend is going insane and catatonic. Play in his reality and everything will be okay? Right? What, what is the message the movie's trying to send is what I don't get. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm really not sure. That's one of uh, yet another of the baffling things about it is the trailer. And this is, I think we mentioned this at the beginning, the trailer made it seem like Will Smith is actually being visited by these concepts. Right. Which, um, which they, might have been, which might have been creakly and banal and very kind of cliche and saccharine, but it, it at least would have been. A thing. It would have been something. At least it's an ethos, man. It, yeah, at least it's, it's an ethos, man. Yeah. It would have been a thing. It would have been right. something that people can understand and comprehend, right? Right. Well, I've, and, I, and I think the reason they did that is because it, even though the movie is like vile, like morally vile in terms of what these characters do, the way it presents it as, as again, is like this inspirational thing. The movie is actually set at Christmas. They're releasing it at Christmas. The three ghosts concept kind of thing definitely evokes a Christmas carol idea. He's, you know, Will Smith, even though he has a very good reason to be that way, he's sort of a Scrooge figure. And, and they're, and so I think, you know, that sort of, idea, that sort of concept, that always has sort of an, an eternal relevance to people, especially at this time of year. That's the kind of thing people like to watch. It, even if they've seen that story a million times, they want to see it for the million and first time. They want to see uh, uh, someone who's struggling sort of rediscover their humanity, find the Christmas spirit, that sort of thing. So that's why I think the trailer is the way it is. I think that they were just trying to basically kind of convince people incorrectly that this was like an you know, an uplifting Christmas movie. But that said, it almost like the, I think, I don't know if this is, this was something that changed in the editing room or if this was something that they always planned from the beginning, but it, the movie kind of does feel like an inspirational Christmas movie, except that the thing that's going on is 
reprehensible. It's not <laughs> inspirational. It's it's like if again, like if the ghost at the end of a Christmas Carol like took Scrooge's money, <laughs> yeah. and the people and the people in Scrooge's life they didn't want to help him. They wanted to kick him out of his bank so that they could take it over. I think but it they, it might have been still offensive, but at least more interesting and less reprehensible if there was no Omnicom deal in the film. Right, if all they wanted to do was help him out, right? And, if they just wanted to help their friend, and they had reached the end of their rope, right? And, and they just tried this atypical thing, do, right? And yeah. he, or, right, and if they, you know, I, I, now granted, there are always other things they could have done. We, you know, they mentioned taking him to a grief counselor, but I mean, there's got to be other things that they could have done, more mentally helpful, healthy things they could have done for this guy. But you're right. What makes it so disgusting is the fact that. While they claim, you know, they they have a, some superficial lines about, um, oh well, everyone's going to lose their jobs basically, so we have to save the business. I mean, I guess that's sort of true, but this is a selfish act. This is what they're doing is not to help Will Smith. In fact, they are they're all they they're just lucky that he, he sort of reconnects with his wife. Nothing they do really leads to him to reconnect right. with the wife right. that's just that's a totally tangential thing and as you said they don't talk to the wife they don't mention the wife um that because of the twist they are just trying to convince people in what must be an illegal act although they never mentioned that this must be illegal what they're doing they are <laughs> well they mentioned that it's illegal to have stolen his mail <laughs> but yeah this is so much worse than that <laughs> but but uh, that's, that's the, how they get the letters the that, that he wrote. Especially in the beginning of the movie, the first half of the movie is so jokey. There are so many like hacky one-liners and quips. <laughs> Edward Norton and Kate Winslet and Michael Pena are always cracking jokes about how sad you know Will Smith is. Like Will Smith destroys this huge um, uh, a domino set, and they're watching, and they're like. How long did he take to work on this one? They're like two weeks, and they're all and it's like they're like laugh lines. Uh, There's like it's, it's like, like it's like gallows humor, in my opinion. But but it's not it's not I don't know it does but it doesn't feel like dark comedy. It feels like sitcom jokes. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's and fair enough. and the the guys that they hired to do this, you know, they're all great actors. All all three of those actors and Will Smith included, they're fabulous actors, but they're like I don't really look to these like Kate Winslet to to really like bring home like pitch black comedy. Like there are <laughs> if you wanted to make a dark comedy about this, hire comedians. You know what I mean? Like everyone see feels sort of mess, miscast right down to Will Smith who, you know, it's like lit- literally Will Smith doesn't talk for like 40 minutes of this movie. It's like this is the opposite of what we like to see Will Smith do on screen. Yes. Stop making Will Smith be mopey for a lot of the runtime. Uh, the, the same thing also happened in After Earth, actually. He spent a lot of that movie being pretty mopey. Right. But- and, 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 the, and the worst part of all is that the first scene of this movie is him in, like, full Will Smith mode. Yeah. So you see what you could have had. And yeah. you're like, oh, man, God, Will Smith is a movie star. He is charismatic. He is so charming. He is the best. And then – Literally a second later, he is depressed and sad. And I, sure, the character has a reason for it, but we like Will Smith is just depressed for the rest of the movie. Never smiles, barely talks, just you know, and doesn't even appear in a lot of the first half of the movie while we're dealing with this evil scheme that his friends are hatching up. It's really strange. And when they get to the big scenes at the end, you know, and he's crying and sobbing and like. It's 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 impressive. Like technically, like he's really giving a I guess technically a good performance, but it just 
the movie doesn't deserve it. Yeah. It just doesn't the, – yeah. the material is just doesn't justify like the – I'm sure the like emotional distress that Will Smith put himself through to get to the dark place he needed to to play these scenes. It's just like it wasn't worth it. it, it not at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one other random note is uh, we were talking about how, how uh, less reprehensible the film would be if it was just about them trying to help their friend and not about this big sale to Omnicom. But – even in that context, hiring actors to mess with your friend who's mentally unstable fe- feels like a very dangerous thing to do. Like, what if uh, instead of Will Smith grabbing Jacob Lattimore's skateboard and flinging it off into nowhere, he used it to cave Jacob Lattimore's head in? You know, like, what? then what are you going to do? Uh, it, it's, it's really unsafe. Nothing in this movie should be emulated for any reason, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you should not think to yourself, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. Let's do like, – like the Ed Norton idea of playing along with your uh, parents' dementia, I thought to myself, huh, that actually might make sense in some context. But then everything else in the film made me retroactively consider whether or not I should think anything in this movie makes sense right. and should, and, should and, you know. And he's not punished for what he does. There's no repercussions. He gets exactly what he wants in every facet of his life. He is reunited with his daughter. He apparently makes millions of dollars off the sale of this company. <laughs> it all works out for him because he gaslights his best friend and yep. never tells him that he's doing it. Yep. Collateral beauty, guys. Collateral beauty. All right, Matt Singer, you've written a review at Screen Crush. Is that right for this? Or Yes, yes. It's up at ScreenCrush.com. All right. We'll link to it in the show notes. And uh, you can also find Matt Singer on Twitter and uh, writing every day at Screen Crush, uh, where I greatly enjoy his work there. Matt, thanks for joining me today on the Slash Filmcast. This was very therapeutic. Thank you, Dave. I feel the same way. Hi, I'm Jessie Ware. I'm Lenny. And we're from the Table Manners podcast. And this week, we're sponsored by Uniqlo. I'd really like to bring to your attention Uniqlo Airism. So it's a base layer that releases heat and moisture to keep you feeling cool. So Aerism fabric includes antimicrobial and deodorizing features to help you stay feeling fresh. And Aerism's so lightweight and it's really, really super smooth, which stays invisible beneath the clothes. You can wear this layer and still be really cool. And it's soft. It's really it's soft. soft. Gorgeous. So discover Aerism now in Uniqlo stores and online at uniqlo.com.